Part four of Hard Times by Charles Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. From Household Words, a weekly journal, Saturday, April the twenty second, eighteen fifty four. Chapter seven. Mr. Bounderby, being a bachelor, an elderly lady presided over his establishment in consideration of a certain annual stipend. Mrs. Sparsit was this lady's name, and she was a prominent figure in attendance on Mr. Bounderby's cart as it rolled along in triumph with the bully of humility inside. For Mrs. Sparsit had not only seen different days, but was highly connected. She had a great aunt living in these very times called Lady Scadgers. Mr. Sparsit, deceased, of whom she was the relict, had been by the mother's side what Mrs. Sparsit still called a powler. Strangers of limited information and dull apprehension were sometimes observed not to know what a powler was, and even to appear uncertain whether it might be a business or a political party or a profession of faith. The better class of minds, however, did not need to be informed that the powlers were an ancient stock, who could trace themselves so exceedingly far back that it was not surprising if they sometimes lost themselves, which they had rather frequently done as respected horse-flesh, blind hooky, Hebrew monetary transactions, and the insolvent debtor's court. The late Mr. Sparsit, being by the mother's side a powler, married this lady, being by the father's side a Scadgers. Lady Scadgers, an immensely fat old woman, with an inordinate appetite for butcher's meat and a mysterious leg which had now refused to get out of bed for fourteen years contrived the marriage at a period when Sparsit was just of age, and chiefly noticeable for a slender body, weakly supported on two long slim props, and surmounted by no head worth mentioning. He inherited a fair fortune from his uncle, but owed it all before he came into it, and spent it twice over immediately afterwards. Thus, when he died at twenty-four, the scene of his decease, Calais, and the cause, Brandy, he did not leave his widow, from whom he had been separated soon after the honeymoon, in affluent circumstances. That bereaved lady, fifteen years older than he, fell presently at deadly feud with her only relative, Lady Scadgers, and partly to spite her ladyship, and partly to maintain herself, went out at a salary, and here she was now, in her elderly days, with the Coriolanian style of nose and the dense black eyebrows which had captivated Sparsit, making Mr. Bounderby's tea as he took his breakfast. If Bounderby had been a conqueror and Mrs. Sparsit, a captive princess, whom he took about as a feature in his state processions, he could not have made a greater flourish with her than he habitually did. Just as it belonged to his boastfulness to depreciate his own extraction, so it belonged to it to exalt Mrs. Sparsit's. In the measure that he would not allow his own youth to have been attended by a single favourable circumstance, he brightened Mrs. Sparsit's juvenile career with every possible advantage, and showered wagon-loads of early roses all over that lady's path. "'And yet, sir,' he would say, "'how does it turn out after all? Why, here she is at a hundred a year,' I give her a hundred, which she's pleased to term handsome, keeping the house of Josiah Bounderby of Coketown. Nay, he made this foil of his so very widely known that third parties took it up 
and handled it on some occasions with considerable briskness it was one of the most exasperating attributes of bounderby that he not only sang his own praises but stimulated other men to sing them there was a moral infection of claptrap in him strangers modest enough elsewhere started up at dinners in coketown and boasted in quite a rampant way of bounderby they made him out to be the royal arms the union jack magna charter john bull habeas corpus the bill of rights an englishman's house is his castle church and state and god save the queen all put together and as often and it was very often as a narrator of this kind brought into his peroration princes and lords may flourish or may fade a breath can make them as a breath has made it was for certain more or less understood among the company that he had heard of mrs sparsit mr bounderby said mrs sparsit you are unusually slow sir with your breakfast this morning why ma'am he returned i am thinking about tom gradgrind's whim tom gradgrind for a bluff independent manner of speaking as if somebody were always endeavouring to bribe him with immense sums to say thomas and he wouldn't tom gradgrind's whim ma'am of bringing up the tumbling girl the girl is now waiting to know said mrs sparsit whether she is to go straight to the school or up to the lodge she must wait ma'am answered bounderby till i know myself we shall have tom gradgrind down here presently i suppose if he should wish her to remain here a day or two longer of course she can ma'am of course she can if you wish it mr bounderby i told him i would give her a shake down here last night in order that he might sleep on it before he decided to have any association with louisa indeed mr bounderby very thoughtful of you mrs sparsit's coriolanian nose underwent a slight expansion of the nostrils and her black eyebrows contracted as she took a sip of tea it's intolerably clear to me said bounderby that the little puss can get small good out of such companionship are you speaking of young miss gradgrind mr bounderby yes ma'am i'm speaking of louisa your observation being limited to little puss said mrs sparsit and there being two little girls in question i did not know which might be indicated by that expression louisa repeated mr bounderby louisa louisa you are quite another father to louisa sir mrs sparsit took a little more tea and as she bent her again contracted eyebrows over her steaming cup rather looked as if her classical countenance were invoking the infernal gods if you'd said i was another father to tom young tom i mean not my friend tom gradgrind you might have been nearer the mark i'm going to take young tom into my office going to have him under my wing ma'am indeed rather young for that is he not sir mrs sparsit sir in addressing mr bounderby was a word of ceremony rather exacting consideration for herself in the use than honouring him i'm not going to take him at once he is to finish his educational cramming before then said bounderby by the lord harry he'll have enough of it first and last he'd open his eyes that boy would if he knew how empty of learning my young moor was at his time of life which by the by he probably did know for he had heard of it often enough 
but it's extraordinary the difficulty i have on scores of such subjects in speaking to any one on equal terms here for example i have been speaking to you this morning about tumblers why what do you know about tumblers at the time when to have been a tumbler in the mud of the streets would have been a godsend to me a prize in the lottery to me you were at the italian opera you are coming out of the italian opera ma'am in white satin and jewels a blaze of splendour when i hadn't a penny to buy a link to light you i certainly sir returned mrs sparsett with a dignity serenely mournful was familiar with the italian opera at a very early age egad ma'am so was i said bounderby with the wrong side of it a hard bed the pavement of its arcade used to make i assure you people like you ma'am accustomed from infancy to lie on down feathers have no idea how hard a paving stone is without trying it no no it's of no use my talking to you about tumblers i should speak of foreign dancers and the west end of london and mayfair and lords and ladies and honourables i trust sir rejoined mrs sparsett with decent resignation it is not necessary that you should do anything of that kind i hope to have learnt how to accommodate myself to the changes of life i have acquired an interest in hearing of your instructive experiences and can scarcely hear enough of them i claim no merit for that since i believe it is a general sentiment well ma'am said her patron perhaps some people like to be pleased to say that they do like to hear in his own unpolished way what josiah bounderby of coketown has gone through but you must confess that you were born in the lap of luxury yourself come ma'am you know you were born in the lap of luxury i do not sir returned mrs sparsett with a shake of her head deny it mr bounderby was obliged to get up from table and stand with his back to the fire looking at her she was such an enhancement of his merits and you were in crack society devilish high society he said warming his legs tis true sir returned mrs sparsett with an affectation of humility the very opposite of his and therefore in no danger of jostling it you were in the tip-top fashion and all the rest of it said mr bounderby yes sir returned mrs sparsett with a kind of social widowhood upon her it is unquestionably true mr bounderby bending himself at his knees literally embraced his legs in his great satisfaction and laughed aloud mr and miss gradgrind being then announced he received the former with a shake of the hand and the latter with a kiss can jupe be sent here bounderby asked mr gradgrind certainly so jupe was sent there on coming in she curtsied to mr bounderby and to his friend tom gradgrind and also to louisa but in her confusion unluckily omitted mrs sparsett observing this the blusterous bounderby had the following remarks to make now i tell you what my girl the name of that lady by the teapot is mrs sparsett that lady acts as mistress of this house and she is a highly connected lady consequently if ever you come again into any room in this house you will make a short stay in it if you don't behave towards that lady in your most respectful manner 
though I don't care a button what you do to me, because I don't affect to be anybody. So far from having high connections, I have no connections at all, and I come of the scum of the earth. But towards that lady, I do care what you do, and you shall do what is deferential and respectful, or you shall not come here. I hope, Bounderby, said Mr. Gradgrind, in a conciliatory voice, that this was merely an oversight. My friend Tom Gradgrind suggests, Mrs. Sparsit, said Bounderby, that this was merely an oversight. Very likely. However, as you are aware, ma'am, I don't allow of even oversights towards you. You're very good indeed, sir, returned Mrs. Sparsit, shaking her head with her state humility. It is not worth speaking of. Sissy, who all this time had been faintly excusing herself with tears in her eyes, was now waved over by the master of the house to Mr. Gradgrind. She stood, looking intently at him, and Louisa stood coldly by with her eyes upon the ground, while he proceeded thus. Jupe, I have made up my mind to take you into my house, and when you are not in attendance at the school, to employ you about Mrs. Gradgrind, who is rather an invalid. I have explained to Miss Louisa, this is Miss Louisa, the miserable but natural end of your late career, and you are to expressly understand that the whole of that subject is past and is not to be referred to any more. From this time you begin your history. You are at present ignorant, I know. Yes, sir, very, she answered, curtsying. I shall have the satisfaction of causing you to be strictly educated, and you will be a living proof to all who come into communication with you of the advantages of the training you will receive. You will be reclaimed and formed. You have been in the habit now of reading to your father, and those people I found you among, I dare say, said Mr. Gradgrind, beckoning her nearer to him before he said so, and dropping his voice. Only to father and Merrylegs, sir. At least, I mean, to father, when Merrylegs was always there. Never mind Merrylegs, Jupe, said Mr. Gradgrind, with a passing frown. I don't ask about him. I understand you to have been in the habit of reading to your father. Oh, yes, sir, thousands of times. They were the happiest. Oh, of all the happy times we had together, sir. It was only now when her grief broke out that Louisa looked at her. And what, asked Mr. Gradgrind, in a still lower voice, did you read to your father, Jupe? About the fairies, sir, and the dwarf, and the hunchback, and the genies she sobbed out there said mr gradgrind that is enough never breathe a word of such destructive nonsense any more bounderby this is a case for rigid training and i shall observe it with interest well returned mr bounderby i have given you my opinion already and i shouldn't do as you do but very well very well since you're bent upon it very well so mr gradgrind and his daughter took Cecilia Jupe off with them to Stone Lodge, and on the way Louisa never spoke one word, good or bad, and Mr. Bounderby went about his daily pursuits, and Mrs. Sparsit got behind her eyebrows and meditated in the gloom of that retreat all the morning. Chapter 8 Let us strike the keynote again before pursuing the tune. When she was half a dozen years younger, Louisa had been overheard to begin a conversation with her brother one day by saying, Tom, I wonder. Upon which Mr. Gradgrind, who was the person overhearing, 
stepped forth into the light and said louisa never wonder herein lay the spring of the mechanical art and mystery of educating the reason without stooping to the cultivation of the sentiments and affections never wonder by means of addition subtraction multiplication and division settle everything somehow and never wonder bring to me says machokum child yonder baby just about to walk and i will engage that it shall never wonder now besides very many babies just able to walk there happened to be in coketown a considerable population of babies who had been walking against time towards the infinite world twenty thirty forty fifty years and more these potentous infants being alarming creatures to stalk about in any human society the eighteen denominations incessantly scratched one another's faces and pulled one another's hair by way of agreeing on the steps to be taken for their improvement which they never did a surprising circumstance when the happy adaptation of the means to the end is considered still although they differed in every other particular conceivable and inconceivable especially inconceivable they were pretty well united on the point that these unlucky infants were never to wonder body number one said they must take everything on trust body number two said they must take everything on political economy body number three wrote leaden little books for them showing how the good grown-up baby invariably got to the savings bank and the bad grown-up baby invariably got transported body number four under dreary pretences of being droll when it was very melancholy indeed made the shallowest pretences of concealing pitfalls of knowledge into which it was the duty of these babies to be smuggled and inveigled but all the bodies agreed that they were never to wonder there was a library in coketown to which general access was easy mr gradgrind greatly tormented his mind about what the people read in this library a point whereon little rivers of tabular statements periodically flowed into the howling ocean of tabular statements which no diver ever got to any depth in and came up sane it was a disheartening circumstance but a melancholy fact that even these readers persisted in wondering they wondered about human nature human passions human hopes and fears the struggles triumphs and defeats the cares and joys and sorrows the lives and deaths of common men and women they sometimes after fifteen hours work sat down to read mere fables about men and women more or less like themselves and children more or less like their own they took defoe to their bosoms instead of euclid and seemed to be on the whole more comforted by goldsmith than by cocker mr gradgrind was for ever working in print and out of print at this eccentric sum and he could never make out how it yielded this unaccountable product i am sick of my life lou i hate it altogether and i hate everybody except you said the unnatural young thomas gradgrind in the hair-cutting chamber at twilight you don't hate sissy tom i hate to be obliged to call her dupe and she hates me said tom moodily no she does not tom i'm sure she must said tom she must just hate and detest the whole set out of us they'll bother her head off i think before they've done with her already she's getting as pale as wax and as heavy as i am young thomas expressed these sentiments sitting astride of a chair before the fire 
with his arms on the back and his sulky face on his arms his sister sat in the darker corner by the fireside now looking at him now looking at the bright sparks as they dropped upon the hearth as to me said tom tumbling his hair all manner of ways with his sulky hands i am a donkey that's what i am i am as obstinate as one i am more stupid than one i get as much pleasure as one and i should like to kick like one not me i hope tom no lou i wouldn't hurt you i made an exception of you at first i don't know what this jolly old jaundice jail tom had paused to find a sufficiently complimentary and expressive name for the parental roof and seemed to relieve his mind for a moment by the strong alliteration of this one would be without you indeed tom do you really and truly say so why of course i do what's the use of talking about it returned tom chafing his face on his coat-sleeve as if to mortify his flesh and have it in unison with his spirit because tom said his sister after silently watching the sparks a while as i get older and nearer growing up i often sit wondering here and think how unfortunate it is for me that i can't reconcile you to home better than i'm able to i don't know what other girls know i can't play to you or sing to you i can't talk to you so as to lighten your mind for i never see any amusing sights or read any amusing books that it would be a pleasure or a relief to you to talk about when you are tired well no more do i i'm as bad as you in that respect and i'm a mule too which you're not if father was determined to make me either a prig or a mule and i'm not a prig why it stands to reason i must be a mule and so i am said tom desperately it's a great pity said louisa after another pause and speaking thoughtfully out of her dark corner it's a great pity tom it's very unfortunate for both of us oh you said tom you are a girl lou and a girl comes out of it better than a boy does i don't miss anything in you you are the only pleasure i have you can brighten even this place and you can always lead me as you like you are a dear brother tom and while you think i can do such things i don't much mind knowing better though i do know better tom and i'm very sorry for it she came and kissed him and went back into her corner again i wish i could collect all the facts we hear so much about said tom spitefully setting his teeth and all the figures and all the people who found them out and i wish i could put a thousand barrels of gunpowder under them and blow them all up together however when i go to live with old bounderby i'll have me revenge your revenge tom i mean i'll enjoy myself a little and go about and see something and hear something i'll recompense myself for the way in which i've been brought up but don't disappoint yourself beforehand tom mr bounderby thinks as father thinks and is a great deal rougher and not half so kind oh said tom laughing i don't mind that i shall very well know how to manage and smooth old bounderby their shadows were defined upon the wall but those of the high presses in the room were all blended together on the wall and on the ceiling as if the brother and sister were overhung by a dark cavern or a fanciful imagination if such treason could have been there might have made it out to be the shadow of their subject and of its lowering association with their future 
what is your great mode of smoothing and managing tom is it a secret oh said tom if it is a secret it's not far off it's you you are his little pet you are his favourite he'll do anything for you when he says to me what i don't like i shall say to him my sister lou will be hurt and disappointed mr bounderby she always used to tell me she was sure you would be easier with me than this that'll bring him about or nothing will after waiting for some answering remark and getting none tom wearily relapsed into the present time and twined himself yawning round and about the rails of his chair and he rumpled his head more and more until he suddenly looked up and asked have you gone to sleep lou no tom i'm looking at the fire you seem to find more to look at in it than ever i could find said tom another of the advantages i suppose of being a girl tom inquired his sister slowly and in a curious tone as if she were reading what she asked in the fire and it were not quite plainly written there do you look forward with any satisfaction to this change to mr bounderby's why there's one thing to be said of it returned tom pushing his chair from him and standing up it will be getting away from home there is one thing to be said of it louisa repeated in her former curious tone it will be getting away from home yes not but what i shall be very unwilling both to leave you lou and to leave you here but i must go you know whether i like it or not and i'd better go where i can take with me some advantage of your influence than where i should lose it altogether don't you see yes tom the answer was so long in coming though there was no indecision in it that tom went and leaned on the back of her chair to contemplate the fire which so engrossed her from her point of view and see what he could make of it except that it is a fire said tom it looks to me as stupid and blank as everything else looks what do you see in it not a circus i don't see anything in it tom particularly but since i've been looking at it i've been wondering about you and me growing up wondering again said tom i have such unmanageable thoughts returned his sister that they will wonder then i beg of you louisa said mrs gradgrind who had opened the door without being heard to do nothing of that description for goodness sake you inconsiderate girl or i shall never hear the last of it from your father and thomas it is really shameful with my poor head continually wearing me out that a boy brought up as you have been and whose education has cost what yours has should be found encouraging his sister to wonder when he knows his father has expressly said that she is not to do it louisa denied tom's participation in the offence but her mother stopped her with the conclusive answer louisa don't tell me in my state of health for unless you have been encouraged it is morally and physically impossible that you could have done it i was encouraged by nothing mother but by looking at the red sparks dropping out of the fire and whitening and dying it made me think after all how short my life would be and how little i could hope to do in it nonsense said mrs gradgrind rendered almost energetic nonsense don't stand there and tell me such stuff louisa to my face when you know very well that if it was ever to reach your father's ears i should never hear the last of it after all the trouble that has been taken with you 
after the lectures you have attended and the experiments you have seen after i have heard you myself when the whole of my right side has been benumbed going on with your master about combustion and calcination and calorification and i may say every kind of ation that could drive a poor invalid distracted to hear you talking in this absurd way about sparks and ashes i wish whimpered mrs gradgrind taking a chair and discharging her strongest points before succumbing under these mere shadows of facts yes i really do wish that i had never had a family and that you would have known what it was to do without me End of part four.